Hey everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of Prairie Village, Kansas. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. Angela Green was born in China, where she lived with her family into her 20s. She pursued all the things that made her happy, and being stunningly beautiful and standing in at 5'9", Angela dabbled in modeling, and according to Lord & Arts on YouTube, she was even working towards a career as a TV reporter. The only thing missing from her life was love, but that was about to change. In the late 90s, the Huffington Post reports that Angela's parents came to know this American guy named Jeff. He was from the U.S., but was in China doing some work as an auto mechanic and salesman. He was a bit older, but seemed like a good enough dude, so they set Jeff and Angela up on a date. And the date went better than anyone expected, and the two were inseparable, even when they didn't have a choice. Jeff eventually had to go back to the U.S., but according to the outlet, he and Angela kept in constant contact through writing each other letters. They wrote back and forth for about a year until the two decided that the letters just weren't cutting it. This was serious and they needed to be together forever. Jeff officially proposed to Angela and the rest was history. Well, kind of. In order for Angela to come to the U.S. and marry Jeff, she'd have to jump through a lot of hoops. And I think it's important to detail just how hard it is so you understand how important it was to the two of them to be together. And I mean, really together. First things first, the United States Citizenship and Immigration Services website notes that you have to file a petition for a K-1 visa. And while TV shows might lead you to believe that it's not that difficult, it is a whole-ass process. When you file for a K-1 visa, you essentially have to give out every single bit of information there is to know about you and your fiancé, which includes information about both of your parents. You also have to document the last time the non-U.S. citizen was in the U.S. and whether or not the two of you have physically been together in person at least two times in the previous two years. After providing those dates, you then have to give details about those two times you were together, and I'm talking like giving evidence that it really happened. If you don't want to give that evidence or you can't prove that you have, You can request a waiver where you then have to note an extreme hardship or cultural reason as to why the two of you weren't able to physically be in one another's presence. Once you get past all that, you're then asked if the two of you were set up through an IMB, which is an international marriage broker, and yes, that's a real thing. According to Citizen Path, an international marriage broker is a for-profit business or dating website whose primary business model is to introduce U.S. citizens with foreign nationals for the purpose of marriage. I legitimately thought that was just something you heard about on TV, but here we are. If you were set up by an international marriage broker, they then request the organization's name and all of their information. You might also be asked to provide your fingerprints and or a signature at any time. After you've gotten all of that done, you pay your filing fee, which Boundless.com says is $535. It is not cheap, and then you just wait and see if it gets approved. If it does get approved, the fiancé, or Angela in this instance, 
would have to fill out another form with additional information, which includes your work and education history, the last five times you were in the U.S., your arrival and departure dates, and the address you'll be staying at in the U.S. They'll also want a way to contact you and the contact information of someone in the U.S. who can verify your identity. Once you're done with that form, you sign it and file it with your next fee, which Boundless.com says is $265. Again, not cheap. After all of this, the fiancé would then go in and meet with the U.S. consulate, providing any documentation they request, and again, if all of that gets approved, the fiancé gets a visa stamp on their passport that's good for six months meaning that after all of this, you have six months to travel. There is a time crunch, and it gets even smaller once the fiancé is in the U.S. Once in the U.S., the couple has 90 days to get married. It is a long process, and it isn't simple, or a cheap one for that matter, but Angela and Jeff did it because they loved each other. And after jumping through every hoop necessary, Angela made it to the U.S., Prairie Village, Kansas to be exact, and she could finally marry Jeff. For the first three months of Angela's stay in the U.S., Heavy.com reports that she actually stayed with her sister. Her sister had moved to Kansas before Angela did, so Angela had a familiar face in unfamiliar territory, and even better, it was family. Angela was happy to spend time with her sister and her niece. Her niece told Dateline that she was basically in awe of Angela, her beauty, her height, and this kindness that kind of just radiated out of her. Angela was the kind of aunt that knew how to make a girl feel like a princess, the kind of aunt that plays dress up and will get on the floor and play with you. Angela and Jeff lived apart for those 90 days until they got married, and in October of 1998, in a cute little ceremony, they made it official. Angela and Jeff were husband and wife, and while wedded bliss was on the menu, so was a little turmoil. Angela had known Jeff was a little older than her. I mean, this was physically obvious. But according to the Huffington Post, Jeff wasn't exactly honest about how much older he was. 13 years. Jeff was 13 years older. The outlet also reports that he had failed to tell his daughter from a previous marriage that he was dating, let alone getting married. His daughter didn't find out until Angela was already in the U.S. There was a little shock on both sides, but nothing the two couldn't handle. They had gone through all of this to get married, and they were finally married, and they were going to enjoy it. According to Profiling Evil, Angela worked for a bit, but within a couple of years, was pregnant and couldn't have been more excited. She had a naturally nurturing spirit, and when they welcomed their first and only daughter, Ellie, Angela put her whole heart and soul into being a mother. From the moment Ellie entered the world, Angela knew that she would spend every second of the rest of her life dedicated to loving and raising Ellie to achieve anything she dreamed of. When it was time for Ellie to go to school, Angela was up bright and early every morning, well-dressed with her hair done and a full face of makeup, ready to drive her to school with a thoughtfully packed lunchbox with a new, detailed, and elaborately shaped and colored encouraging note for the day. Angela went the extra mile when it came to anything she did. During the day while Ellie was at school, Angela had no trouble keeping busy. She didn't leave the house much, if honestly ever. Instead, she gardened. Her garden was always blooming in a way that plant moms can only dream of, and to add insult to injury to any plant assassins out there like myself, 
When her garden hit perfection, she would move on to the traffic islands in the neighborhood and perfect those as well. While the rest of us are out there debating on whether or not we're actually going to brush our hair before entering the school drop-off line of shame and struggling to find our second contact lens, debating whether or not it makes us lazy if we just go back to sleep when we get home, Angela was out making her house and the whole damn neighborhood looked beautiful while simultaneously looking like a magazine mom. One of Angela's neighbors actually told the Huffington Post that Angela made life look effortless. Her neighbors, however, didn't seem to know her very well, but not necessarily in a bad way. Another neighbor who spoke to the outlet said that Angela took the time to learn every single neighbor's name and made a point to say hi and strike up a conversation every time they walked by, but the conversations were all really surface level and heavy on the small talk. Angela cared about her neighbors and her neighborhood, but she was a homebody through and through. Her life revolved around Ellie, and aside from gardening, that was her only focus. By the end of the day, when it was time to pick up Ellie from school, Angela had her schedule down pat. Angela was a loving mom, but she was also a strict mom. She wanted to make sure that Ellie was at her highest potential, so she made sure that homework and studying were always a priority and sprinkled in music lessons throughout the week to broaden her horizons. In a lot of interviews, Ellie refers to her mom as a tiger mom. I've heard the term before, but in the name of accuracy, the Oxford Dictionary defines a tiger mom as a strict or demanding mother who pushes her child or children to high levels of achievement, especially by using methods regarded as typical of child rearing in China and other parts of East Asia. As Ellie got older, she and Angela would get into your normal mother and daughter spats. Ellie wanted more freedom, but Angela knew what she wanted for her daughter, and sometimes that led to conflict. Profiling Evil writes that Ellie admits that her mother struggled with some verbal anger issues, noting that she had a temper and could get pretty angry and at times would throw things during family arguments. Though the times that they butted heads, Ellie and her mom always made up and it never took long, maybe an hour, maybe two, maybe a day, but it was never too long before everything calmed down. In Ellie's senior year, she got a cell phone and a serious boyfriend, Zach. And obviously, Zach was pretty cool, but the cell phone was too. Through Ellie's newfound freedom in texting, calling, and dating, she still managed to graduate at the top of her class. And I'm not talking like top 10 of her class. I'm talking valedictorian. And the girl spoke multiple languages and was fluent in Mandarin, which is widely known as the hardest language to learn. But Ellie had spoken Mandarin all her life. Although Angela had learned some English before coming to the U.S. and had learned more as she was in the U.S. longer, she wasn't quite fluent, which is where Ellie came in. Since she was old enough to talk, Angela had spoken to Ellie in Mandarin, which came in handy when it came to the language barrier between Angela and Jeff, Ellie's dad. Regardless of Angela being in the U.S. for two decades at this point, the Huffington Post reports that Jeff spoke very little Mandarin so Ellie translated between the two of them. Now, you're probably wondering how in the world he managed to not learn Mandarin in the full 20 years he was married to Angela, but maybe in hindsight, it makes a little more sense. In an interview with the Huffington Post, Ellie told the outlet that looking back, her parents' relationship seemed more business than romance, saying that they never kissed in front of her and they didn't even sleep in the same bed. 
Regardless, this was normal to Ellie. The three of them lived in a really small bubble surrounded by beautiful flowers and centering around their beautiful daughter, who was now about to go off to college. Which was hard for Angela to even imagine. The center of Angela's universe and the person she had dedicated every moment of her life to for the past 18 years was about to head off to college and she didn't know what that meant for her and her daughter's relationship. Angela didn't know what life looked like without Ellie in it all day every day, and to be honest, she struggled. Ellie told The Vanished Podcast that after she moved out, her mother lost weight and just didn't seem to be doing well with all the new changes. It was mentioned in the episode that Angela had even started collecting items, the term hoarding was used, and piling them up around the house so that the only room there was for any company was for Ellie. After Ellie's freshman year of college and a month abroad in Italy, she was ready to relax and spend the summer with her mom and dad and was excited to get in some much-needed mother-daughter time. I mean, she needed it and she knew that her mother needed it. But on June 20th of 2019, that plan came to a screeching halt. On June 20th, 2019, Ellie and Angela got into an argument. Different sources report slightly different variations of the argument, but all reports seem to come down to it being an argument over Ellie's newfound independence. Ellie didn't think there was anything extraordinary about the argument. It didn't seem like it was any different than any of the previous ones, but it was. She told Profiling Evil that Jeff attempted to step in, but it didn't accomplish much, so he excused himself. The argument continued, just Angela and Ellie, and in the end, Angela kicked Ellie out of the house. Ellie could not believe this at all. Her mother had never kicked her out of the house before, but this was her reality, and she had to find somewhere else to sleep. According to Fox 4, Ellie drove out of the garage, watched her mom walk back inside, never imagining that that would be the last time she would ever see her mom. After leaving the house, Ellie tells Profiling Evil that she parked for about half an hour and cried before calling her boyfriend, Zach. She wound up going to Zach's grandparents' house for the night while Zach's parents told the Vanished podcast that Jeff, too, was kicked out of the house that night. It's unclear whether or not they were kicked out at the same time or if Jeff was kicked out after Ellie left, but nonetheless, Profiling Evil notes a text that Jeff sent to his daughter saying that he was staying at his brother and sister-in-law's house. While he was there, he told Ellie that he wanted her to come over to talk about Angela. Ellie was still pretty upset about everything and told Profiling Evil that she didn't go. She figured that any minute now her mom would apologize, she'd go home, and everything would be back to normal. But that's not what happened. Three days went by and she didn't hear a word from her mother. They'd never had an argument drag on this long and it just didn't make any sense. There was nothing special about this argument. Why had Angela kicked her out, and why hadn't she reached out since? Well, Jeff was about to come through with an information sharknado. On June 23rd, three full days after Angela and Ellie's argument, Jeff texted Ellie that Angela was in a mental health facility. In a text obtained by Profiling Evil, Jeff told Ellie, we met the mental health people in the store parking lot and it was a struggle. 
better than trying to pry her out of the house, and she always looks good going out so she did not have the embarrassment of house clothes or untidy house. He followed that text up by telling Ellie not to let anyone know about it, even Angela's own family. Aside from the absurd comment about her appearance and the appearance of the house, Jeff's story began to evolve a bit. In recorded phone calls that Ellie has shared across several platforms, The Vanished Podcast, Dateline, Fox 4, Jeff talks about an ambush that was used to have Angela taken in involuntarily. At some points, even mentioning a special code he says you can use with the police department where you can essentially set this up. I spoke to a few mental health professionals about Jeff's story, and they told me that in order to be admitted to a mental health facility involuntarily, you would either need to be a clear threat to yourself or others, and it's a doctor who would determine that. A person could, of course, call the police if they had a concern that someone was a threat to themselves or others, and the police could recommend that they go to the hospital for evaluation, but the police certainly don't just meet people in parking lots to ambush women at their husband's request. Obviously, Jeff's story was full of bed knobs and bullshit, but just to be sure, I did a little digging. Jeff mentioned that he'd actually done this in the grocery store parking lot, and according to Profiling Evil, one of the grocery stores they regularly went to was the Price Chopper. So I called down to the records division of the police department to see if there were any calls for service in the parking lot of the Price Chopper between the 19th and the 24th, keeping the date range a little wide just in case. And you will be less than shocked to find out that I was told there were none. Being that there were other grocery stores in the area, the person I spoke to told me that he, Jeff, had made no calls for service to the police within that entire range of dates. Now. We know this is bullshit looking back, but Ellie was still extremely young and had no reason to doubt her father, not even when he refused to tell her which facility her mother was at, just saying that it was someplace down south. When Ellie asked if she could visit her mom, Jeff would always give the excuse that he didn't want Ellie to see Angela until she got better, but could never provide any time frame of when that might be. In an effort to help out in any sort of way, Ellie's boyfriend's mom told Dateline that she even reached out to Jeff about visitation herself, but she was totally blown off, and I'm talking like flat-out ignored. As the days went by, Jeff told Ellie that he was starting to organize and that he was going to need help going through all of Angela's things. And no doubt, everyone's first thought here is, why would anyone need to go through her things? I mean, she's coming back, right? But then I thought back to the mention in the Vanished podcast of Angela reportedly collecting all of these things while Ellie was away at college, and I wondered if that might have been what he was talking about, going through it and getting rid of what wasn't needed and clearing out the house a bit. I mean, we know now that he's lying like a muffler on a warthog, but what exactly was he lying about? And was he going through Angela's things because she'd collected quite a bit of it, or was he going through her things for a more suspicious reason? Through the following weeks, things were strange, and Ellie told Fox 4 that the house felt eerie, and she wasn't living there anymore. Ellie didn't go back and continued living with her boyfriend and his parents, only visiting home on occasion. Almost a month went by with no updates of Angela's supposed condition when Ellie got a late-night text from her dad, saying that he needed to talk to her about mom. Ellie was out with her boyfriend at the time, but they drove back to his house where Jeff met them in the driveway. When she got out of the car, her father flat out told her, 
Angela is dead. And I want to be clear here that according to Ellie in the Dateline episode, she wasn't told that her mother was dead. She was told that Angela was dead. Read into that what you want, but it's something that stuck with her since she heard the news. Jeff told Ellie that her mother had died in the mental health facility of a stroke, that she was fine one minute and that the next time they checked on her, she had died. It doesn't seem like Jeff was ready for the questions that were about to come because when asked what facility she died at, he couldn't remember. Ellie told the Huffington Post that Jeff chalked it up to being really busy at work when he got the call and figured that more people would be calling anyway. I'm sorry, what? Imagine a scenario where your spouse suddenly and unexpectedly dies of a stroke when you're not with them and you're not rushing to be where they are. Not only was he not doing that, he was seemingly too busy to even jot down the name of this consistently mysterious facility. But hey, it's a fact that we all grieve differently, and I think that's what a lot of people chalk Jeff's behavior up to. It was strange and mysterious, but Jeff had never been the kind of guy that ever raised anyone's eyebrows. He was soft-spoken, well-mannered, had a long-term steady job, had a wife of 20 years, and a daughter who graduated at the top of her class. He was honestly the last person anyone would expect to be involved in anything like this. Ellie's boyfriend, Zach's mother, told The Vanished Podcast that the day after Ellie got the news, they invited Jeff over for lunch. She and her husband tried to comfort him, but also tried to see what information they could get Ellie, who was at a complete loss. According to Zach's mother, Jeff seemed a little unaffected. When asked about a memorial service, Jeff said that there wouldn't be one. And yes, we all collectively just gasped. So far, we have some bullshit ambush in a parking lot to have Angela involuntarily admitted to a mental health facility that he can't remember the name of, and now after he's saying that she unexpectedly died of a stroke in a facility he can't remember the name of, he's not so much as giving her a funeral. A total of zero people understood why. Angela had a daughter and a family in the U.S. who would all want to properly say goodbye to her. She even had a husband, and he was the one deciding that the last time anyone saw her would be the absolute last time. No final goodbyes, no ceremony, not even an obituary. That was it. On top of all that, he then asked Ellie again not to tell her mother's family that she had even passed away. Ellie wrote on her Instagram that he told her it wasn't her place to tell, and she figured, still believing her father, that he would tell her mother's family the news when he was ready. One could assume that might be in a couple of days, maybe a week, maybe two weeks, but no. Over the following months, Ellie would check in with her father and ask about her mother, and at one point, he told her that Angela had been cremated. At this point, you might be thinking, okay, here's where Ellie or frankly anyone might get some kind of actual information or documentation of where Angela had been or what had happened since. But you would be wrong. Jeff had a wild story for this too. 
According to that interview that Ellie did with the Huffington Post, Jeff told her that one day he got a call that Angela was being cremated and that they were going to be dropping by to pick up the money. And this reportedly very frugal man asked no questions. He says he gave the mystery man $1,500 and an urn, and that sometime later they dropped the urn back off to him. End of story. And if you're thinking that's not how this fucking works, you would be correct. There is a whole entire process to having a person cremated, and I went down the rabbit hole of exactly what that process is in the name of calling bullshit. First of all, the cremation has to be requested by the next of kin. In this case, that would have been Jeff unless there was some other imaginary power of attorney that he nor anyone else has ever mentioned. Second, you need to provide a death certificate and fill out a cremation permit. A permit in which the Cremation Society of Kansas and Missouri's Cremation and Disposition Authorization would require you to provide the decedent's name, date of death, time of death, and place of death. According to House Bill number 2267, the crematory operators would also need to be made aware of any pacemakers or other medical implants because they can be hazardous when inside the cremation chamber and hazardous to the person performing the cremation. The Cremation Center of Kansas City notes that signatures from the decedent's doctor and coroner are necessary. A lot of these blanks, Jeff didn't seem to have the answers to fill, so how could he have gotten her cremated? On top of the fact that Jeff couldn't recall seemingly basic information that you would need to get your wife cremated, if he had somehow done it and just wasn't sharing that information with everyone who loved Angela, cremation still isn't that simple. There are different cremation options when you look at price sheets for funeral homes in Johnson City where they lived. It's not just some flat fee a guy gives you in an unprompted phone call. Prices vary when you factor in transportation mileage to the funeral home, days the decedent is at the funeral home, and even additional charges for the transfer of ashes into an urn not provided by the particular funeral home, which would have been Jeff since he said he gave the mystery dude an urn. In summary, cremation is not some cut and dry process of this is going to be $1,500. Even though if you Google the exact phrase, average cost of cremation in Johnson City, Kansas, the first number you will see is $1,595. Furthermore, just to check out every part of his story, I called one of the local funeral homes in Johnson City and asked whether or not all of this could be done without the next of kin physically coming into the funeral home to sign these documents. And they said that it's possible to be done through email with a scan driver's license and e-signatures, but Jeff claimed it had all been done over the phone. And you can't prove your identity that way, and you certainly can't give your signature over the phone. Ellie was devastated at this point, but what could she do? The last few months of her life were a blur of gut-wrenching experiences, from getting kicked out of her house for the first time to being told her mother had been taken to a mental health facility against her will, not being able to visit her mother or so much as even speak to her, and now her father was telling her that her mother had passed away of a stroke and been cremated and she wasn't supposed to tell anyone about it. Aside from her boyfriend's family, she was left to grieve alone. But by February of 2020, Ellie was done keeping secrets. 
She called up her aunt, her mother's sister, and according to an interview with Profiling Evil, Ellie says that for the first full minute of her call to her aunt, she was sobbing and couldn't get the words out. Eventually, Ellie was able to tell her aunt that her mother had passed away, and naturally, Angela's sister was devastated. When she asked Ellie what happened, Ellie told her that Angela had died from a stroke on the 16th. But it wasn't February 16th yet, so how had she died on the 16th? Which is when Ellie clarified that she meant the 16th of July, eight months earlier. Angela had died eight months ago, and Jeff still hadn't told her family. Every gear in Ellie's aunt's brain was working at hyperspeed, so she called the first person she could think of, her daughter, who was an attorney, and the three of them decided that they needed to know everything. The first rule of business was tracking down Angela's death certificate. They wanted to know where Angela died, and they wanted to verify how she died, but they weren't going to get those answers. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. The day after Ellie told her aunt that her mother had died eight months earlier, she drove down to the Office of Vital Statistics and asked for a copy of her mother's death certificate, only to be told that there wasn't one. Not only was there no death certificate for Angela in the entire state of Kansas, there wasn't one for her in any state. If there was no record whatsoever of Angela's death, and if Angela's death certificate didn't exist, how had she been cremated? At this point, Ellie, her aunt, and her cousin were questioning everything. Had Angela been cremated? Was she dead? Had she even been at that mental health facility? If not, what was going on and how long had whatever was happening been going on? Ellie and her mother's family wound up calling Angela's neighbors to see if maybe they had seen Angela recently, or even not so recently, and they hadn't. According to Profiling Evil, Angela's neighbors had noticed that the previous July, the same month that Jeff told Ellie her mother had died, they didn't see Angela tending to the neighborhood traffic circles like they always did. One neighbor told KSHB that they thought maybe she'd gone to China to visit family. But she hadn't. Angela was not in China, and there was no record of the death her husband had reported to Ellie. 
So Ellie filed a missing persons report. And when the police went to Angela's house to speak to Jeff about where his wife might be, Jeff had an entirely different story for them. And I'm not talking a spinoff. I'm talking a whole different story. But what exactly he told police will have to wait until next week. I promise that I hate leaving you waiting for episode two just as much as you hate me for doing it, but Angela Green's case is complex and deserves to be told in its entirety, and that entirety is so much more than one single episode. So next week, I'll meet you right back here and we'll pick up right where we left off in the disappearance of Angela Green. For all photos pertaining to this case, check out Angela's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley. Our live this week is going to be postponed until next week due to me being on vacation, but speaking of vacation, please forgive me for any random noises in the background of this recording. It is a full house over here. If you like your podcast ad-free, head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime, or for just one whole dollar a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. If you need more episodes in your life, for just $5 a month, you get a bonus episode on the first Monday of every month. All your episodes are ad-free, and you'll also receive a forever discount code for all Big Mad True Crime merch. And of course, anytime you sign up, you get instant access to all previous bonus episodes. I'll be bringing you part two of Angela's case a week from today, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out.